Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me I have Justin Shuey. He is a small group leader, and uh, he's a liturgist on Sunday mornings, and he teaches every now and then. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad. Good that morning. He's, yeah, I'm glad that he's glad that he's with us this morning. And today we're going to be continuing our study of Astonished by God by John Piper. Uh, but today we are going to be finishing the book. So we're going to go through chapters 9 and 10 this morning. So uh, if you haven't read chapter 10, that's okay. Uh, you'll have plenty of time to do that. So um, I'm excited about today because these are these are important topics to, to, to be talking about today, especially in today's uh, church, uh, in today's society. Um, so I'm excited to get through it. In the first first chapter, well, not the first chapter, the ninth chapter, uh, but the yeah, top, first one today. Yeah, the first one today. Uh, we're talking about biblical manhood and womanhood. And Justin, we live we live in a world where this is so out of skew, so broken. Um, we have two views, and, and Piper talks about these two views of this abusive, dominating man. Um, yeah just abusive towards women and then the opposite view of of uh feminism and um removing that male male role um the headship of the house kind of view and so pop uh, piper popper <laughs> piper uh talks about this idea of being a complementarian um what does that mean what is what is piper talking about when he's talking about being a complementarian the the basis of it is that men and women as uh, genders created by God complement each other. And this is one thing that I appreciate about that term is that it has in it the understanding that God actually created this way. Mm-hmm. So when we when we use the term, I think it affirms the creative design of God and it helps us. I, I think language is one of the things that's under assault really heavily in our culture. So if we can kind of, as an example, if folks have some kind of issue that, you know, any reasonable person would think was horrific, well, let's just call it something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of babies, we talk about fetal tissue mm-hmm. um, or the what, however they want to package that sort of thing. So I think it's important that we, that we keep terms like complementarian because I think it helps us affirm the creative design of God. So um, one of the things Piper talks about is the different roles that men and women take and that these roles aren't, you know, just like you're saying, these roles aren't meant to subdue one or to have dominance over one. But these are actually created by God and bring peace mm-hmm. and harmony and happiness when they're done correctly. Yeah, I, I like his I like his description that he gives in in uh, on page one fifty two in the second paragraph. He says complementarians resist the impulses of a chauvinistic, dominating, abusive culture. So that's that's one side of complementarian as well as the impulses of a largely gender-blind, gender-leveling unisex culture. And we take our stand between these two ways of life, not because the middle ground is a safe place, it emphatically is not, but because we think it is good plan of God in the Bible for men and women. 
Yeah, and I think right at the beginning there, um, where it says complementarians resist the impulses of a chauvinistic, dominating, and abusive culture, that is one of the things that the uh, more liberal folks in our culture hang on to. They say this is what complementarianism is, essentially, is this idea that men just rule the universe Mm -hmm. and that men domineer over women and they're abusive and all these other things. It's kind of this straw man that they put out there to, to take the true meaning out of the term and kind of make it look like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Piper talks about this, this grandeur of being a human. So he starts with, he starts with, okay, this is, these are the two views. This is what it means to be a complementarian. Then he goes back to, what it means to be a human, the grandeur of being a human. Um, what is Piper, what does that mean? What does it mean, the grandeur of being a human being, as he, as he talks about on 153 and yeah. following? One of the things that he, that he highlighted there was this reality, kind of this existential reality of the importance of day-to-day life. So we, we want to feel, as human beings, we want to feel that, life is meaningful. We don't want to feel that everything's just draining away and that we haven't accomplished anything. Um, so he, he talks about meaning as one of the big things, um, and then tying that back to God's creative order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, this idea of being very good. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome, right? Like there's, there's this Genesis one where he's talking about creation. He says, and it was, it was good. He saw it and it was good. The, the stars and it was good and the, the planet and it was good and so on and so forth. But then he gets to male and female and he goes, it is very good. Yeah. Like there's this intrinsic value that we are created in his image and there's something special about being human. <laughs> yeah. You have a, a strong stamp of approval. Yeah. 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 Um, I, we got to jump forward just because we're, we're covering two chapters here, but I want to jump to this idea of the scripture on these differences of, um, you know, he uses Ephesians five. Yeah. That's pipe, a great one to go to talking about Ephesians five and, and the, the role of men and women in the household. But then he goes into what that looks like in the church as well. Um, we, we live in a society as, as already mentioned, where, um, we have a wrong view of what it means to be a man, uh, that we need to yeah. dominate, we need to rule, we need to uh, abuse, mm-hmm. uh, in a sense, of, of women. And then the other view is men need to submit to women, this this flip side of, of, of it. Um, but Piper talks about Ephesians 5, which is such a great, great verse, great couple verses on um, marriage. <laughs> And yeah, what is what is what is Piper's takeaway from Ephesians five? Well, I want to the first thing I want to say with that is this is that balancing ground that Piper says is emphatically not safe, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have the picture, the illustration of Christ in the church. So you have the highest form of um, responsibility, the highest form of what a healthy relationship is, a God-designed relationship is. Mm-hmm. And with with the image being that the man is supposed to represent Christ in the marriage and the woman represents the church in the sense that the church is um, under the leadership of Christ 
and then man is under the is the headship of man is Christ, and that we are to lead our homes, um, and, and also to um, sanctify our wives and our family through the Word. So that's one of the pictures that goes that he talks about mm-hmm. in Ephesians five. So by starting out with that, I think I think Paul kind of puts complementarianism in this extremely difficult to implement you know it really is a grace of god to implement because it's such Mm -hmm. a high calling yeah 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 husbands love your wife as christ loved the church yeah i don't even know if you need to go further than that (laughs) that's like oh boy who wants to sign up for that yeah Yeah, that um, that portion of scripture every time i read it i'm just like lord help me yeah i can't i cannot do this outside of your your help um yeah and it's when when you talk about it kind of theoretically you can look at it and say, oh, okay, I, I see how that's done. And then when you're at home with screaming kids and you're trying to get yeah. something done and, you know, your wife has been put through the ringer all day with the kids and now you've got this mandate to lead your family when you don't feel like leading your family. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like going in the room and, and doing nothing, crying or something, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, that's when this calling becomes so incredibly difficult yeah. is that now I've got to, the calling is to sinlessly lead your family mm-hmm. as Christ leads, you know, leads the church. And that means that you have to put aside all self-centered desires in order to be able to minister to your wife and your kids mm-hmm. on a daily basis in the thick of all the crud that happens on a regular day, yeah. you, you know, and so you look at that, you say, okay, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, all right. Um, now you get put in that practical situation where everything's, you know, feels like the house is on fire. Yeah. You're running around. It's like, okay, now I've got to step in and I have to be able to bring peace to the situation, direction to the situation. I've got to bring the word of God to the situation yeah. in, a, in a loving way so that my my wife feels supported and she feels like she's being led by a, a humble person not by someone who's just dictating things and then not doing any of that myself mm-hmm. um that makes for what is an incredibly difficult situation that requires a lot of repentance yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, katie and i got got into an argument a few weeks ago and it, it all started because it, I was frustrated with her about something that happened the day before. And she didn't know that I was frustrated about this thing that happened the day before, but I festered on it all day <laughs> long. You know, I, yeah. I thought about it all day long. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that really grinds my gears kind of thing. And But now you're too far past it to talk about yeah. it. So <laughs> just simmer. Well, we waited. I mean, I waited all day to finally let her know that this is what I was frustrated about. And then as soon as I told her about it, I was like, man, I... <laughs> I, I am an idiot. Like, oh, yeah. I am. An, what am I thinking? Like, yeah. how have I loved my wife the way that Christ has loved the church by acting this way? And it's such a, so that's, I mean, it's a great reminder of, of what we're called to be as husbands and, I mean, as wives as well. Yeah. Um, to, to submit to the husband, to love the husband, to come alongside the husband, to encourage the husband. Um, and support the husband yeah. in, in the role that, he has been yeah. given, which is this, like we've been talking about, an incredibly high role. Yeah. But I think it's also it's also important to point out the difficulties that 
the wife is presented as well, um, because even so in some cases, it's not, I know, especially for Amanda, it's not always easy to um, come under uh, instruction or to be, to have um, even gentle corrections, th things like that. Um, so I think it's difficult too for wives in a, in a culture that says, do not let your husband tell you anything. Mm -hmm. And have if your husband thinks that he can offer any kind of advice to you that's not in like a absolutely 100% peer-to-peer way, rebel against that. Like your, your husband is abusing you. He's dominating you. Yeah. The next thing that's going to happen, he's going to beat you up and beat your kids yeah. up. Yeah. And, you know, even, even that is kind of culturally ironic because they want to do away with gender. And so now it's like, well, who are you rebelling against? Just kind of the partner. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that all fits together today. Yeah. But I think it's difficult for, for, Christian women to be godly wives as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also difficult for Christian men to be godly husbands because we've been put in this um, this image of Christ in the church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like the roles that God has given us shouldn't be a burden. Like they're, yeah. actually, they're actually good good things that God has bestowed upon us. But because we are sinful and we live in a sinful world... It's like a natural rebellion. It is against those and, roles, and there's there's shame too. I think a lot of Christian households experience when you know when men read this and they think about actually implementing this in their home, being being a leader of this in their yeah. home. I think the immediate response, just kind of naturally, instinctually, maybe from culture, is to feel shame. Like why? why would I think that my wife should listen to anything I'm saying? Mm -hmm. what, you know, if I take this, I'm going to step into that role that the culture says is evil. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's when, when we first started family worship um, as a family, one of the first things before that was I understood that this was what my role needed to be, but it almost felt awkward to actually do it because there's a huge change in behavior in the home. Mm -hmm. And there is, you know, especially because this, this was when Leland was really young. And my thought was he doesn't even understand what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm bringing everyone together and I'm wanting to go through a book of the Bible and, or maybe even a kid's book. Leland's not listening. He's yeah. freaking out. Yeah. And it's like, what actual fruit is coming? And, you know, Amanda's like, well, we've got this, uh, you know, other stuff we're wanting to do. And so it, it almost felt difficult from that end but actually the one ironically the one thing that really sparked that and made it successful was Amanda asked me how come we aren't doing family worship mm -hmm. anymore yeah and I was thinking are you know I was like well we 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 are doing these things in the church so we're they're they're having this exposure but it's like how much how much fruit's actually going to come from this but it wasn't until she had kind of said that that I I kind of stepped into this yeah. this role as a Christian husband where it was like I can't believe that I've been neglecting this duty yeah. I should have been doing this all along yeah. so that's when we had started making it just a habit every night in fact the kids the kids look forward to that time yeah so that's really one of the only things you turn a show off and they're not all freaking out about yeah um, and the biggest thing behind that 
is me, you know, I don't want to be self-centered, but one of the biggest things behind that is me leading it and being excited about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't go and be like, okay, guys, we got to get this over with. You know, if Leland has, says, hey, we don't want to do this tonight. I say, hey, this is one of the best part of dad's day is to Mm -hmm. sit down with you guys and talk about Jesus and talk about his word. Um, and then we do some songs at the end of it, and then, you know you got the kids dancing and running around and all sorts of stuff. And so it's it's fun, and they're learning about Jesus. And we we do some catechism stuff, real, real entry level stuff for yeah. them, and that's been just a huge blessing in our home. Yeah. Um, so I can understand if there's somebody, if there's a man listening to this um, and is thinking that it's going to be very difficult to implement his home, it will definitely be awkward at first if there's no habits built in Mm -hmm. if it's just a first step into family worship but this is it's true that christ blesses the home where he's the lord of and that means having this intentional focus as a family on the word of god and having it be a centerpiece of of everyday life yeah yeah it's so easy i think it's so easy for us as husbands um to to view everything else as ministry, I think. Like right. to look at our lost friends and say, okay, there's there's a ministry there. Or to look at the church and say, there's ministry opportunities in which I can serve there. Um, but then you come home and it's just like, this is my safe place and I can kick my feet up and, and relax. And I'm 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 definitely guilty of that. It's just like I just Same. wanna I just wanna come home. I just wanna relax. I don't wanna think talk yeah. you know i just i just want to relax my ministry's over i'm my finally min- home y- yes exactly exactly <laughs> it, it's very it's very easy to have that that mindset of just like okay i'm i'm home i don't need to do this and whereas that's that's where ministry is like like restarting is like when you get yeah. home it's like okay now now i have to lead my family um and it's difficult it's a it's a difficult task but, but a sacred task. But a sacred task, yeah. Because this is the family that God has entrusted you with. I mean, they're the closest people to mm-hmm. us. It's a wife and kids, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, seeing that and then having Paul highlight the relationship of the family and the, the husband-wife relationship as Christ and the church, clearly in Paul's mind, this was a priority. Mm-hmm. So there was something that was very, very important that we did right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honored God in the midst of doing it. And so that, I think we have to make it a priority and we have to see it as a sacred task. And when we come home, it's not, um, there are times where we can kick our feet up because things are going well, but we need to see it as this this ministry that, you know, I've accepted. Mm -hmm. I have accepted this ministry. (laughs) I didn't get plopped into it. I accepted it. Yeah. And I need to lead it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, really, all life is is ministry. Yep. Um, and Piper, he transitioned. So we'll transition to chapter ten now, um, where this this idea of this idea of ministry in the world, because we are fallen human beings. We struggle with sin. We, I mean, granted, we are justified and redeemed yep. and made righteous because of Christ, uh, but we still live in this broken world, and we still have the same struggles, the same sorrows, the same pains that a lot, a lot of the world goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and Piper's point in chapter 10 is to, the world needs to see that we have this unbreakable 
hope, this unbreakable joy uh, in Christ. Um, so as we make this our final chapter, um, why is this so important, Justin, that, that the world sees this true, genuine joy um, in the midst of suffering and pain? Well, I think it's one of the greatest things that highlights Christ because it's it's truly your your faith in Christ is truly authentic. Um, so when when it's highlighted in suffering, and I think that's one of the things that has been driven home through the Book of James, and has been driven home in several sermons in Psalm one nineteen, mm-hmm. is how God tests our faith through suffering mm-hmm. and through trials, and this this idea of sorrowful yet always rejoicing is is in the understanding that God brings suffering to his people and God brings tests to his people and that what we should look to do is persevere through that in our faith and actually rejoice that we've been counted worthy of sharing hmm. in the sufferings of Christ. And um, there, there are several things in the chapter that John Piper did a good job of um, bringing out and kind of helping that imagery of this idea of sharing sufferings with Christ. Mm-hmm. But when the the common reaction from the world when you're suffering is this like time to, you know, kick in, like you're, you're done. Yeah. Um, why, why would you be hopeful? Why would you see, you know, he has this, this story of a man in prison. It was a Romania or mm-hmm. something like that, where he was actually thankful to God that he went through such suffering mm-hmm. in prison because in that suffering in prison, he actually saw the work of God in his own heart, hmm. that it was changing him from the inside. And his last words, his death words were, thank you, Lord, for this suffering and for this prison cell hmm. because of the work that you've accomplished through me. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it's a purifying thing that suffering has for the, for the true Christian, and it highlights Christ I mean, you look at all of the martyrdom that's happened, um, that happened even, you know, under the Roman Empire in the early church. Mm -hmm. And what kept coming out of that was the supremacy of Christ over everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that's sorrowful yet always rejoicing because we have a hope that can't perish. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems, um, it seems that, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't fake it. Like you can't fake yeah. this joy that you have in Christ during those times. Um, and so when we come to church on Sunday and Piper makes this point, like there's, there's churches out there that it's a, it's a hype game almost. Yeah. Like you come to church and it's a hype game, get you super excited and happy and, and jovial. And, and he says in here, he's, but what about the people who are dying of cancer? What about the yeah. people who don't have a job what about the people who are severely depressed whose marriages are tanking who, yeah whose marriages are tanking who just lost a child who just what about those people do you just expect them to have this superficiality this superficial happiness to walk out of here with right and so so what's what's the answer what's the answer to to that if we were to be um sorrowful and yet still rejoicing what what's What's the answer? I guess is is my question for you and and Piper's answer for this chapter. Yeah. So say the question again. So I was, so, I was thinking about a couple different things. Yeah. 
Piper Piper says we can't we can't create a superficiality like we a yeah. hype game a uh, uh, yeah God wants you to be healthy wealthy wise all that other stuff. Uh, what is what is the answer to being joyful in the midst of suffering? How do we how do we walk out of church on Sunday morning rejoicing um, yet walking through trials, walking through suffering? Yeah, so I'm thinking of a couple points, and one is that with one of the things that he talked about and coming against this real light, um, kind of jovial, trivial type church setting where it's like, let's get people hyped up. But meanwhile, the pastor who is supposed to be heralding the truth of God um, and the truth of God that brings hope in suffering, the truth of God that puts our focus on Christ when everything else is grim, when they when they don't have that, there's an abuse that's being done to the sheep of God. Mm. Um, and if you've listened to John Piper's sermons and different even clips that he has on YouTube, he's super passionate. Mm-hmm. And when he gets up and he talks about um, the deep truth of God's word, so he he talks about Romans eight, kind of as this almost this climactic chapter in the whole New Testament mm-hmm. where you have, and for those that love God, all things work together for good. For mm-hmm. those who are called according to his purpose, that we have this sure and steadfast hope in Christ that is, a, is an anchor for the soul that keeps us focused on him mm-hmm. and focused on what's truly eternal, what's truly important in the midst of all these temporal suffering. So the fact that the word of God can change our perspective to where if, if our marriage is tanking, well, there's still obedience to happen in that. And, mm-hmm. and there's still a trial that God is actually using and sovereign over to conform me to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's something that if you're in a destructive situation like that, you're going to feel hopeless. You're going to feel like you failed. And maybe you have. Maybe your wife has gone off and done something she shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some you know, with the death of a child that can rip marriages apart. We've mm-hmm. seen that happen. But having the focus come back to the Word of God, mm-hmm. where we have this hope in Christ and the understanding that God is sovereign over all of these things, mm-hmm. and it's actually for a purpose. The trivial-type church mentality is let's have people have a positive feeling so they come back next week and bring their friends mm-hmm. and we grow the church body. They grow a lot of. They may grow a lot of people. They may have a lot of people coming to get a little high on Sunday. You know, not you know high in the sense that that they're having a fun time, mm-hmm. um, not too serious time. The pastor's not really um, correcting the congregation. The pastor's not bringing um, both edges of the sword to the congregation mm-hmm. and, and helping grow them into Christ's image. But it's just being trivial. Mm-hmm. You have the, the sheep of God are going to end up going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're going to try and bring change in the church. It's going to get turned down because it's not a good evangel, you know, quote unquote evangelism strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said earlier, I think that's an abuse to the people of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, Piper uses Paul's um, description of his ministry, uh, kind of as the as the starting point for this chapter in Second Corinthians um, six, and and you know if if anyone had the right to be sorrowful to be down in the dumps to give up it was probably paul 
Paul, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Paul Paul went to the ringer quite a bit. Um, but he Paul gives this this description of his ministry, but he says, Yeah, we are to be rejoicing um in the hope. Um why why should we um continue to be steadfast even in the midst of trials? If that's a yeah, good question. I don't know if that's a good question or not. Yeah, if that applies. Well, why do Why do continue <laughs> to be steadfast in the midst of trials? Well, I think if if you if you aren't grounded on good theology, it's a very difficult question to answer. Because if you aren't sure why suffering is happening, if you don't have the biblical theology that God doesn't do anything without a purpose, that He has a purpose and it's for His people, um, then I think you're going to have a very tough time not just answering it kind of theoretically, but actually living that out mm-hmm. in the midst of suffering, because it's always different when you're actually in it mm-hmm. versus when you're kind of standing in a, you know, the ivory tower talking about what it's like to go through suffering if you haven't actually been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so why should we remain steadfast? Well, because what we see around us isn't the end all be all of our existence. God has created us with a purpose and he's used these sufferings and these trials to conform us into the image of Christ. And in fact, there, there's going to be an incredible glory revealed um, on the day when Christ reveals all, right? Mm-hmm. And so Christ is revealed to us and we're with him. Um, it's, it's going to be a glorious day, and that's, and that's an eternal moment. Mm-hmm. Whereas the suffering that we're going through is temporal. Mm-hmm. And that's something that John Piper with some of his uh, sermons that I've listened to, that's been one of the most helpful things that he has highlighted is the fact that this the suffering is is momentary. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's not, while it's momentary, it's also not purposeless, mm-hmm. that God has a purpose. And so why should we remain steadfast? Well, it's because God is still working out his purpose, and it's a good purpose, even when it doesn't seem like that in the midst of suffering. So we should trust him. Yeah, I think about... Um... Uh, you know, throughout history, obviously, we, we brought this up already, but throughout history, you, you see the church being persecuted throughout. Um, Christ promised it to his disciples that um, the world will hate you, that it will persecute you. The epistles promise persecution and suffering and trials and pain and hardships and all these different things. And um, it's it's a guarantee of the Christian walk. You know, Christ says in, in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, it's because it hated me first. Yeah. They hate they hate the master. And because you are under me, because you are my servants, they're going to hate you also. And so you think about that in, in the Christian life is if, if the world is hating you, that's a, and if you're going through trials and pains and sufferings and hardships, that should give you, give you hope. Because yeah. you you are Christ's, they hate you because you're Christ's, um, which is hopeful. <laughs> yeah, his, his mark is on his people, and the um, you know Paul says that the uh, the the devil the he says the spirit of the air is is presently at work in the sons of disobedience. So there are there are people who will hate the church, who don't even necessarily know why. Um, because they're being guided by the devil, they're the enemy. Uh, 
And so it kind of has this, that's why we can say it's because of Christ that we're being persecuted. The person persecuting us may just not like us because we're, we're doing good things or because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they wanted us to participate in something we shouldn't participate in. And we said no, and it made them feel ashamed that they were doing something that they know they shouldn't do. Um, but the bigger picture, like you said, is that the image of Christ is on us, on mm-hmm. his people, um, which for us does bring hope because it's a confirmation to us, like, man. So I, I've, you know, I don't know how much time we have left, but I had that um, when when Jake and I, my Jake, my brother, and I went out and we were doing some just street side evangelism. Uh, we just had the Gospel of John tracks and we were trying, we were talking with folks and having to come over and just for, without even saying anything bad, without even without even aggravating anybody, just saying, hey, can we have a second to talk to you? Um, and they saw the Gospel of John. All of a sudden, they got really angry. Mm-hmm. And they, they knew exactly kind of what we were there to do. Mm-hmm. And they knew that it was uh, a peaceful protest of the activity that was going on. This was at Yakima's first... Uh, gay pride parade a couple mm. years ago. Um, so even being respectful, being peaceful, and just wanting to talk with people about what was going on, we did get a chance to talk with some. Um, there are a few folks who didn't like us being there, and one mm. only one person actually yelled at us, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we talked with each other about was, hey, um, the reason that they're so opposed to what we're doing uh, is not because we're jerks, <laughs> which is a reason why a lot of people are opposed to some forms of evangelism is because the person's a jerk. Exactly. Um, but they're not opposed to us because we're jerks. They're opposed to us because we're bringing light mm-hmm. and because we have the image of Christ on us. And this is the promise of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, this may seem odd, but even that gave courage and it gave hope mm-hmm. um, because we were being obedient to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I love how Piper ends the book with this chapter. Like he doesn't yeah. drop it in the middle somewhere and say, you know, the world's going to hate you. You're going to, you know, how do you have joy in the midst of suffering? He, I think he strategically placed it at the end of the book because now it's like, okay, now go and do, go and do this, that you are going to, you're going to walk through trials. You're going to walk through sufferings. And, um, here's, here's how you have joy in the midst of, midst of those places. It's amazing why God chose suffering to reveal his glory in many ways. Yeah. Because naturally we're just, we're opposed to it, right? Like we, we don't like pain. We don't like hardships. We don't like being told no, you know? Um, So we're naturally opposed to it, but yet this is part of God's plan too. Yeah. And sanctifies people. And if, if we were talking about a diet, so if we weren't talking about Christianity, if we're talking about diet, you know, the moment that you get some kind of negative, health effect from a diet you know you're you're done with the diet yeah that that thing's you no longer want any part of that yeah um and so you leave it you try something else it's like well maybe this will be better maybe it'll, i'll have less pain and i'll be able to to lose weight or whatever the case may be um the fact that we can go through such intense suffering as christians and yet still hold to the truth of the faith is evidence of the the truthfulness of our profession mm-hmm. as Christians, mm-hmm. because it's not just some fad that we did for self-help mm-hmm. because the world looks at it and says, Hey, the self-help ain't working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys aren't looking very good right now. 
You need to change your views. You need to change whatever it is. And we hold on to it through the suffering because we know it's true. And that's evidence of the Spirit of God. Yeah. 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 The perseverance of the saints. How God is graciously guiding us through that time. And we just talked about that a couple weeks ago, or last week, rather. Um, how God is graciously working through that in us. And, you know, I think about the parable of the sower and where the seed is scattered on the ground and, you know, it, it rises up and it shows great strength and hope and joy. And when the trials of the world come, it, it withers away and dies. And I know that's been a prayer of mine a lot of, Lord, don't don't let that be me. Help me. Help me to have hope and joy during those times. And it's one of the most terrifying parable yeah. illustrations because yeah. it says they received talking about the word they said they received it with joy yeah so that he's talking about people who when he has spread the good news of the kingdom or we're sharing the gospel they receive it with joy they're excited about it yeah and they they affirm it and they spring up real fast and then it says it, it goes through cares of the world and then it then it also says, and the desire for other things. Yeah. It just throws it out there and whatever. Yeah. They just, they had a desire for something else yeah. and they died. Yeah. And that is a terrifying thing. Like you're saying, it's, it's something that we need to be prayerful over because, you know, we're in a highly anti-Christian society mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to leave the faith. Yeah. So it's something that we need to be very watchful over ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Justin, thank you for your thoughts and wisdom on these two chapters. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me this morning and church. We, uh, we hope that this book has been encouraging to you. I know it has been for me. Um, we hope that you are blessed by it and that you would, you would read through it again. I mean, there's, there's so much great material in this book that, it's worth going through again and just uh, delving into those truths once more. We look forward to uh, September as we are going to be talking about small groups uh, and the importance that they play in the church. And then in October, we're actually going to be going through a series on on suffering and trials. And we're going to have people coming in through the church who have walked through different avenues of, of suffering and pain. And we hope that that's a great time of encouragement for you. Um, as they share their stories with us. Church, we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.